Welcome. This is Talking Joy, creating joy, inner peace, and authentic connections. My name is Pam Rotelli-Robertson, and I am founder of lifestyle brand Talking Joy. As a certified spiritual director, I have been leading groups with the power of words, the strength of positivity, and the gift of joy. During our time together, our focus will be on simple spiritual practices that can be applied to your everyday life with the wisdom and support of others. Talking Joy talks to help you realize your value. I I have the privilege today to be Talking Joy with Rabbi Lauren Birkun, who is Vice President of the Shalom Hartman Institute of North America, where she directs rabbinic initiatives and is a member of the senior executive team. She also oversees staff, education, training, and curriculum development for Hartman's I Engage project. Recently, Lauren gave the benediction at the Democratic National Convention. She said that it gave her an opportunity to share with a national audience a message of hope from the Jewish tradition. Take a listen while we talk about crisis and new birth, and most importantly, well, welcome, Lauren, to the Talking Joy podcast. I'm so happy that you're that you're here with me today, and I'm excited to talk to you about your Jewish traditions and um, especially the uh, holiday season that we're approaching and um, and especially about the word hope that kind of resonated with me when the two of us were were talking back and forth in emails and coming up with a date and a time to talk and um, I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about like what does that word mean to you um, mm. and and then maybe we can we can unpack that a little bit. Thank you so much Pam it's wonderful to be with you and I am thinking a lot about hope, especially this year, because it feels like the world is so heavy. It feels like uh, everywhere we turn, there's a new crisis in addition to the global pandemic. Um, And it is for the Jewish community as we're entering Rosh Hashanah, our New Year celebration, actually tomorrow evening. It is a holiday where we often celebrate hope and new beginnings and new possibilities. And I think for many in our community, it will be difficult this year because so much of celebrating that hope uh, is about coming together in community, um, celebrating for many. Uh, this is the, the one time of year where they really come to synagogue to be uh, in community and fellowship and to celebrate with music and, um, and with the liturgy and in a space that feels very sacred. And so to do this from our homes, I think is challenging. Mm-hmm. And to do this in this environment, this landscape of crisis is really challenging. So I am thinking a lot about the psalm that we recite every day in this season of penitence. And in the Jewish tradition, we begin in the month leading up to Rosh Hashanah to recite Psalm 27 every day. And then we continue throughout the high holiday season to recite that psalm. And the very last line of that psalm says, hope in the Lord, be strong and of good courage, have hope in the Lord. Uh, And I think it's, for me, the central message of Rosh Hashanah, which is our day of judgment, when we are entering before God, uh, who's, who's metaphorically sitting on a throne of judgment and reviewing our deeds from the past year. And the hope is that through repentance, through prayer, through acts of loving kindness, that we can change and we can turn a new leaf in our book of life and and we can improve and we can be better. That hope for change is the central concept of the high holiday season. 
And should I, am I talking? No, that, no, that's great. And, and, and what I would say too, is just, um, that resonates with me because I love the, I, I love spiritual practices, obviously, because I teach them and I'm passionate about them because I think that they bring us into the present moment and they connect us with God in the here and the now. And I love the practice of the Psalm because it sounds like it's something that you're doing daily, right? And you're just sort of painting that onto yourself and it becomes, it becomes, Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think hopefully internalize that message. And in addition to reciting that psalm every day, we begin to blow the shofar every day. And that's also a piece of this hope, because uh, when we blow the shofar, the ram's horn, we blow it in a series of blasts that follows a rhythm that starts with a long blast. We call it tikiyah. It's like, it's a long blast. And then it's a series of broken blasts. And even the Hebrew word for those shofar blast is called shivarim, which means breakings. Do, do, do. And in the Jewish tradition, we imagine that these blasts represent the human cry. Mm. And I think symbolically, it also represents this annual cycle that the Jewish community embraces each year of repentance. The idea that we start off the year whole with this blank slate, with the, with all of these new opportunities and potential to be our best selves. And then somehow along the year, we break. And of course, the world is broken. And we break and we fall apart. We even can fall apart to pieces. And then we have um, that hope in the new year that we can be whole once again. And that's why at the end of every shofar cycle, you end with this long tikiagidola, it's called. It's this long, whole blast. And I think it's that sound of hope. Uh, we can cry, we can break apart, but we have hope that we can be whole again. And that to me, even the way you're describing it with your hands is such a release you know, of, of the body, like that you're letting go of the old and embracing the new of, of what's to come. I love that. Um, I, uh, I was out for a run today and before, you know, early this morning thinking I wouldn't see anyone. That's my strategy, but I passed a lot of people that were out, but two songs came on, um, you know, my music soundtrack. And one of them was we're waiting on the world to change by John Mayer. And I was like, oh, isn't that, isn't that <laughs> fitting? <laughs> fitting, even about our discussion today, because, you know, we're waiting maybe for, um, for change. But I think in that wait, that the essential piece of that is this, this, this hope, because hope brings us into the future, you know, with, 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 mm. you know, maybe positivity or, um, you know, I don't think you can say that you're hopeful without using the word or the idea that you're being positive about the future. Um, and I think that that just encourages so many people on so many levels to be hopeful, even in the midst of chaotic, you know, happenings, you know, around the world, that every time you turn on the TV, the fires, the hurricanes, the economy, I mean, I even wrote where you, you know, you wrote out all of these things too, you know, the, the, um, the health of everyone, the, you know, I could go on and on, but, but having hope in the midst of that, I think is the key to being able to move forward into that new year. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And I think this has been a theme in the Jewish tradition, um, both theologically 
from the beginning, but also because of our history of crises and suffering. Um, and that's the theme of hope that transformation can come out of crisis, that light can come out of darkness. I think that that's actually a central idea of Rosh Hashanah that I never really focused on until this year um, when I really thought about the, the fact that we're living through a crisis and trying to celebrate this holiday in a crisis. And for the first time this year, I learned something of all the years I've studied the Torah and, um, and studied the Jewish tradition. Somehow this, um, this escaped me. And that is the linguistic connection between the Hebrew word for crisis, mashver, and the biblical Hebrew word for the birthing stool, mashber, uh, in the prophet Isaiah, the prophet speaks about that painful moment of labor, at the very end of labor, the most painful moment right before the breakthrough, uh, right before new birth, and that's called the mashber. Mm -hmm. And this liminal moment between, um, you know, what could be death and what could be birth, that crisis is what um, gives us the uh the opportunity for for new beginnings and um and i think that's actually a big part of the theme of rosh hashanah because on rosh hashanah in our liturgy we say over and over on the day hayom harat olam today is the birthday of the world yeah. hayom harat olam harat means pregnant so you could say today the world was conceived or today the world is pregnant with possibility and that imagery that birthing imagery i think is for me i have always been drawn to those birthing images in the bible i think the very beginning of the bible in genesis the very first chapter of genesis for me is this cosmic birthing scene yes. where uh in, in Genesis 1, verse 2, it, it talks about the depth, the darkness, and the water out of which God says, let, let there be light, and there was light. So there's almost this cosmic womb, this primordial womb out of which creates. And um, there's actually a Jewish ritual, a very important ritual called the mikvah, which is a ritual bath. Uh, and by immersing in those ritual waters, one can be reborn. So if one is converting to Judaism, as an example, you immerse in the mikvah as that final stage of ritual transformation, being reborn, as it were, as a Jew. Um, but there's many other uses of the mikvah, and especially before the new year, immersing in a mikvah uh, is a popular ritual for facing the new year fresh and new with that idea that I can immerse in that primordial womb of God's creation that enables me to change, to be anything that I want to be in the new year. Uh, and actually the word mikvah sounds a lot like tikva, hope. Uh, it's, it's connected, I think, if not technically, uh, grammatically, it's certainly connected uh, theologically and symbolically the word for hope and, um, and this idea that we can be reborn. Yeah. And how would you say that people outside of your tradition could benefit from, um, um, some of some, from using some of these tools, from using some of what you're saying in our, in our everyday lives? I mean, I, cause I'm, I, let me back up a little bit by saying, so, my my faith background um, when I was a kid, uh, my father was Catholic, my mother was Presbyterian, 
So I grew up in a house with, with both. So I'd go to my grandmother's house and she would take me to the Catholic church. I'd go with my other grandmother to the Presbyterian church. And I, I felt sort of, and I was baptized Catholic when I was born. Um, so I felt always growing up that I didn't belong in either one. And I didn't necessarily, you know, that was true, but I would go to the, I would tell my Catholic friends, Oh, I'm Catholic because I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be part of that. I wanted to be part of, I wanted to belong. And then I would go to the Presbyterian church and I'd see youth groups and things happening, but I wasn't part of them, but I would go to the services and, and I always thought that it was a negative growing up that I wasn't part of one faith. And the older I got, and when I started to get into this work, what I realized is it was actually such a blessing in my life because I was able to see the two different ones. And I think that my work is so inclusive because what it reminded me of it is that I didn't have to be attached to one faith. I could take things from all different faiths and apply them to my life to make me whole. And what I really was yearning for in this other song that I heard when I was running today was by Bruce Springsteen. And it was talking about a hungry heart. We all have this hungry heart. And I think we all have a hungry heart for God. And so I believe that we can take, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today was that I think that we can borrow from other faith traditions, things that we could bring into our own lives. Um, and one of the faith traditions that I've always been enviable of was the Jewish tradition. And I have Jewish friends who I've been to their bar, bar and bat mitzvahs and, and the history and the family connections and being there with them in those sacred places was just, it just, I couldn't wait to go to them where other people would think like, oh, I have to slip out, I have a soccer game or whatever, because the service was long, but I couldn't wait to go um, because I could feel it and be in that place. And so I guess that long-winded statement um, is my question to you is like, what can we borrow from your tradition, from your from your holidays this fall that we could apply that would give other people outside of your faith tradition hope? I think you're asking a very deep question. And I think for me, there's, there is a, let me start again. One of the things that you just said that resonated the most with me was you talked about your, your yearning to belong. And, um, and I do think that in the Jewish tradition, living a Jewish life is deeply connected to being in community and, um, and belonging to a tradition and the rituals, the practices, the laws, and even the beliefs are, um, are the content, the substance of what is a Jewish peoplehood. It's a collective, it's a community. And I, of course, there's much that we can learn from one another's faith traditions. And I myself have had um, deeply inspiring experiences uh, learning about Christianity um, in my, my yoga practice and learning about um, you know, Eastern philosophy and meditation and contemplative traditions. But for me, what it comes down to is, is belonging and being part of community. Mm -hmm. And I think for those of your listeners that are look, are listening and saying, well, what could I take from what she's saying for my own life? I would say creating traditions, creating mm -hmm. rituals and celebrating them in community um, for me is what's most transformative about any faith tradition, um, certainly about Judaism. And, and for, for those that are 
spending more time now at home with their families, um, I think there's ways to say yes, you know, look, the Jewish tradition teaches us each year that we should think about our sins, that, you know, we should cast them into the waters. I have a creek in my backyard and I want to scatter crumbs with my family and make that a, an annual tradition. You know, it's possible. I think that you can get to the themes of hope, um, the, the human yearning for meaning and purpose, through many different paths and many different faith traditions. Um, but I do think it takes discipline and practice and, and being in community. Um, and it's harder to do as an individual by just taking ideas um, from, from different places that are inspiring uh, without somehow practicing them in the context of Well, I love that idea um, of, and you talked a little bit um, maybe in one of your speeches about home. And I love that idea of, and, and I, don't, I don't know what you are suggesting for people who are at home and can't celebrate the holidays in community like we talked about at the beginning, but I love that idea is something that's always been very important to me is creating traditions within my own family um, and bringing in, because we can't go out and be in worship together right now, what am I doing at home? Like, I, and this sounds simple, but every night when we eat dinner, I light candles because I think in the lighting of candles, it reminds everybody that this is sacred space. Mm. That this is special, that this is different. And um, just layering on those things with my family and, and taking advantage of this time that we've been home together has really been um, unique and different. And, you know, everybody was used to being, you know, at I, my kids are a little older and just out of the nest sort of and often doing their own things and to be back together in community like that. And then layering on some of these important traditions mm. for my own faith, ha, you know, at, at, at the table and talking about things um, that are important has really been life changing. I love that. And it's, of course, also a Jewish tradition to light candles every Friday night to usher in the Sabbath. And it's making me think about your first question uh, uh, regarding hope and this moment of crisis. And historically, something that I find very meaningful and encouraging about the Jewish tradition is that it was out of our greatest catastrophe as a Jewish people that in some ways, the Judaism we practice and all the blessings of uh, the rituals and the intimacy and the connection to God that we can now experience in our homes and in our synagogues and, and anywhere we go, that was birthed out of the great catastrophe of the destruction of the Temple of Jerusalem and the exile of the Jewish people. And at the time of the Temple of Jerusalem, there was the idea that the Temple was God's abode, that it, the Temple was God's house. And if you wanted to access the divine, you had to go on a holy pilgrimage to the Temple of Jerusalem, and God was physically present, as it were, only in this one space, in the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest and only on Yom Kippur could could the high priest go into this special space and be surrounded by the most immediate presence of God? Then the temple's destroyed and the rabbis of our tradition have to confront this catastrophe and say, well, is Judaism over? Do we no longer have a way to access the God of Israel from all of our different places of exile? And their response was no, God will be present with you wherever you are. And um, you know, in in study, in prayer, in your homes, and that's where these home rituals became so central. And the table around with your family became the altar, as it were. And that's where many of our traditions of of washing your hands before you eat challah and 
saying blessings and lighting candles, all of that enables, like you said, to bring a sense of holiness and sanctity into your own homes. Um, that came for Jews, that, that grew out of a catastrophe. You know what's beautiful that you just said that I've thought a lot about lately is that history has so much to teach us about resilience and about hope and moving us into the future. And if, if people overcame that in history, then we can overcome this. And, then, and that gives me hope. And the other thing that gives me hope is I, I wrote something about this for this woman's organization about how resilient people have been in finding new ways to do things. And I, I think I used an image of like these tributaries, um, a photo of that on, on this thing that I had written. And I talked about how we are finding in the midst of um, a place where a lot of us don't want to be, you know, confined, um, you know, now we have a little more movement than we did, at least in the New York area than we did early on. But people mm -hmm. found new ways of doing things. And sometimes and oftentimes I felt like they worked better. <laughs> um, I don't know mm -hmm. if you have found that, but there have been some, some new ways. So I'm so I'm very much immersed in that professionally right now because we were in in mourning over the loss of our central programming, which were study retreats in Jerusalem. And this is when rabbis and leaders and people came from all over the world to study with us in Jerusalem with our faculty and to lose that kind of um, highlight of the year for us felt almost insurmountable yes. as an organization. And then we had to pivot like everyone else is in the world and come up with new technologies and new ways to bring our scholarship and our ideas and in the end, when we usually have about 200 leaders with us in Jerusalem every summer, we had 7,000 people who registered for our summer programming. Um, and we did a month-long celebration of Jewish ideas with almost 100 faculty members. And so many people reached out to us, not just saying, you know, they learned so much from the ideas, but that they didn't feel alone. Um, these, these new ways to connect, to overcome loneliness, um, to make community accessible to people maybe who were homebound all along and we didn't know, or maybe had other barriers to participation that we were not aware of. And somehow, ironically, through virtual um, community and through Zoom, people are able to connect in new ways. And that I feel like is one part of this hope of finding some light out of this darkness is realizing. Um, yeah, I love that, um, that, uh, that, that you, you touched on people that maybe would have left, been left behind because of physical you know, issues that they couldn't travel or, or so many other reasons or family issues or financially, you know, maybe, maybe you know, it wasn't as expensive, I don't know, but. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah, but finding new ways to do things, I think has, has, has given me hope. And, and I do think that some of the new ways that we're doing things um, have, been, uh, have been better. Um, so I, in your speech that you gave at the Democratic National Convention, um, you had a lot of um, words that I, I love to do a play on words, but you had crisis and hope and challenge and opportunity and cruelty and compassion and hate and love, and like all these, these opposites. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Well, you know, I, I think transformations, I believe that's 
that's what right. I think I was trying to highlight for me what I see as um, really a sickness in our society right now. And in this time of political polarization, where there's such what we call partisan antipathy is the technical term, but we, instead of seeing people that have different views from us and saying, huh, that's interesting. Why do you, why do they have different views than I do? As, rather than coming from a posture of curiosity, we actually hate the other person. There's so much vitriol. There's so much hatred. There's both fear, suspicion, and hatred of the other. And, um, and as a result, our society, I think, is in a really dangerous place. And I, for me, it means we, it, it has to do with leadership and, um, and role modeling and setting a new tone of, um, of how we speak to one another, um, of how we show compassion. Um, but, you know, I, I think that whatever your political party, I would hope that everyone would want their leaders to look at this moment of crisis and look for opportunities for change and transformation. And also I would hope that any leader of any political party would, um, would be a model for, for care and compassion. For me, what, what is politics? Politics is how do you take the world that is and help transform it into the world that ought to be? Mm. How do we impact the society around us with policies, with decisions, with choices? And, um, and that's why I think people of faith will turn to their faith and the values of their faith when they're making decisions about policies and, um, and politics. And I think that that's natural because when you were speaking before about, um, about having hope, it re I, wanted, I wanted to make sure to share one central idea that I think is within Judaism and especially the high holiday season, which is that for us, hope is not about waiting passively mm. for salvation to come from on high. Hope is about saying, I can marshal my inner resources and my power to bring change to the world. And that's actually my responsibility. And that is what I was created for. That when God creates humans in the image of God, it's because humans are meant to be agents for God in the world to bring about healing, to bring about justice, to bring about greater peace. It is a broken world for mysterious reasons. We don't know why God didn't create an already perfect world, but it is not a perfect world. And we know that by just looking around us. Mm -hmm. So in this broken world, what is our role? Our role is to say, okay, God gave me these gifts, these talents, um, these insights, these concerns. And now I have to do everything I can within my power, with my unique strengths and um and my areas of influence to do my part in and repairing the world here's, and here's what we've seen lauren is that people are capable people are capable of doing that and we saw it just in that example of tributaries and, and people finding new ways to make mm -hmm. things in their lives work yeah. is that we are capable of making change if we're capable of doing that and mm -hmm. working around sort of this big covid you know, monster and, and getting around and getting kids back to school somehow and getting to the stores or getting food to na our neighbors. We're capable of, of, of doing just that. And that, gi that gives me hope, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. So just to switch gears a little bit, I like to ask people this question. Sure. Um, 
at what point did you know in your life that this was your passion um, to mm. do the work that you're doing? Like what called you to it? What? I think it was a transformative experience as a teenager in Israel. Mm. I went on an eight week study program. And for me, I had grown up in a somewhat secular home. Uh, we were Jewishly identified culturally and had some cultural Jewish practices, but I didn't have a lot of um, Jewish text knowledge or ritual practice. And I went, I was involved in a Jewish youth group and was very drawn and from a young age was yearning for belonging, for meaning, for spirituality, and was a seeker from a young age, devouring any books I could find that was a window into this world of, of spirituality and, and Jewish community. And my parents were super supportive of my interests, thank God. And they supported my, um, my desire to go and study in Israel. And I had an incredibly transformative teacher who just brought to life for me this treasure of Jewish tradition, starting with the Bible. And this program was exciting because we were studying the Bible in the places where it happened. So there was the, not just me falling in love with Jewish texts, but also feeling like I belonged to a history, to a tradition. Um, and I think that existential loneliness that, that all humans feel, for me, I was able to find um, that sense of belonging through Jewish study and Jewish practice. Uh, and, and it also, in that moment in my life, made me realize I want to be a teacher. In the same way this teacher transformed my life and ignited this fire, I want to do that for other people. And that sent me down a road of Jewish studies in college and, and then rabbinical school and, and what has been a career in Jewish education. And my next question was going to be, um, what makes you get up out of bed in the morning to do it? And what I'm hearing, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, is that you're a teacher, that you're here to teach, and that somebody made such a spiritual impact on you as a young adult and awakened this thirst, this hunger for belonging, for spirituality in you. And, you know, I had goosebumps when you were telling me because I could feel it. I could feel, you know, you were there in that place where the where it was written and studying it. And it was, you answered your, your purpose, um, you know, your calling. And it's, it's so fascinating to me because I've been interviewing so many different people. So in the last few weeks, um, an artist, a, uh, a, a award-winning musician, um, a, an, a book author, and uh, just goes on and on and on. And the underlying um, commonality between all of these people that I've been talking to that are really good, that they're at the top of their game, they're really good at what they do, is because they had some great teacher in their past, somebody awakened that spiritual thirst, that, that belonging sense, but they also are living out their purpose. Mm. And you're, you're right in that zone, like right in that flow of, you know, what God meant for you for your life. And I can sense that today in your passion and your speeches and, um, and the, you know, the offering of hope that we've discussed. Um, but I think the, the secondary word here that, that, that has stood out for me during our conversation is belonging. Um, belonging to a faith community, belonging to the people in your immediate life. And I feel like that the quarantine um, time gave us an opportunity to reconnect on a different level with the people that we so love. Um, 
and so I feel like you're, you know, you're living out that purpose and, um, and sharing that gift with the world and in a beautiful way. Thank you so much, Pam. You're welcome. I'm Pam Rotelli-Robertson, and you have been listening to Talking Joy, talks that help you realize your value while creating authentic connections with others. For more information about our talk today or to get in touch, you can find us at TalkingJoy.org. And to keep the encouragement going, you can also follow Talking Joy on Instagram and Facebook. Simple, joyful, fun. Thanks for listening. This is Talking Joy.